Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Richmond, and this special episode is a continuation of our Admissions Director Q&A series. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Amy Mitson and Pat Harrison from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. While we usually just have one guest for these Q&As, Tuck is unique among top business schools in that they have co-executive directors of their admissions office. I want to say this is maybe a reflection on the very collaborative and close-knit nature of life at Tuck, but we'll have to ask Amy and Pat that question as they come on board here. Um, In terms of backgrounds, I just wanted to run through some of the basics as we welcome them to the show, Um, but both Amy and Pat are true veterans in the MBA admissions world. Um, Amy's title, we'll start with with Amy, is uh, co-executive director of admissions and financial aid, and she has been at Tuck since the year 2000, serving in a variety of roles in the admissions office. Um, She holds a BA in sociology from Catholic University and an MBA in leadership from Franklin Pierce University. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Um, It's my pleasure. Uh, Pat's title is also co-executive director of admissions and financial aid. And Pat's been at Tuck since 2004. So I guess Amy has has you beat Pat um, by a little bit, but um, you've also served in a variety of roles, all in admissions. Um, and prior to joining Tuck, um, Pat was an attorney for several years, and she holds a JD from UNC and attended undergrad at Bowdoin College, where she studied art history. Welcome, Pat. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Um, so at some point, I'd love to ask you more about this art history thing, because I don't know if you know this, but I studied art history as an undergraduate too, um, which is not not something that you see like so often. So, but let's um let's get into your backgrounds. I know that I gave kind of a very, you know, 30,000 foot kind of um, overview, but let's start with you, Amy. Can you just tell me a little bit how you ended up in admissions at Tuck and yeah, what led you to this role? Yeah, there was um, a a random journey. There was one step before that, and I um, started in our MBA program office at Tuck. Prior to that, I was in Washington, D.C., and in Rhode Island a little bit, too, which is where I'm from. Went to school in D.C., spent some time between those two places, and then from D.C., I was looking to get closer to family and come back to New England, and someone recommended looking at an open position at Dartmouth. And so I did that, and when I showed up, I met someone, and she said, oh, you know, we we gave that job away. Why don't you go talk to my friend at Tuck? And so I just said, okay, and because it was so long ago, I had a campus map in my bag, and so I backed out of that office and figured out where Tuck was and what it was, and walked up the front steps and was really welcomed with open arms and um, haven't left since, and so started there in our student services area. Thought I would leave several times, but there was always another great opportunity for me. I did not know I could build a career um, in... um, in higher ed like I have, and it's been wonderful. And so I feel very lucky that from student services was able to head into admissions, join Pat, and continue on leading the team there. So so a bit of a, a winding road, but love <laughs> it and so happy to be at Tuck. Excellent. Um, Pat, do you want to walk us through the kind of similar sort of thing here? What, what steps led you to your role? Sure. I don't think anybody goes in saying, I'm going to be a business school admissions officer. I've never heard anybody who set that out as their original path. But as you mentioned, I was a lawyer in a past life and I was practicing uh, business litigation and employment law in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I am married to a Dartmouth grad. And like many Dartmouth and Tuck grads, he desperately wanted to move back up to the Upper Valley. And so (laughs) 
In 2002, we made a quality of life decision to move back up here for a job that he, he took um, and to be near family as well. And so that, that was what prompted us to move up, up to Hanover. And as I assessed what I really loved about my job as a lawyer, it wasn't being a lawyer. Hmm. What I loved was the work that I did on our hiring committee, going to law schools and interviewing law students for our summer associate program and for our, our lateral hires and mentoring those law students and new lawyers um, as they joined the firm. I was with a, a very large law firm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and so that's what I really enjoyed. And so as I was kind of making this pivot in my career, I was looking to opportunities where I could kind of take that, take on that role. And so landed in a role at Tuck where I was, you know, did a lot of networking through Tuck and met some great folks like Sally Yeager and became a part-time reader for one year and then got into full-time admissions and then have grown with the office over the course of like 17 years or something like that. It's really, I mean, I, I just want to say it's so interesting to see um, both of you having been at your at, at talk for so long. Um, I mean, it's really great. And it's not something we see every day, right? I think there are um, a lot of schools that would really kill to have people with that kind of, you know, um, commitment over these years. And so I, I think it's terrific. And it's obviously going to make for a really great discussion today because both of you, you know, know the school and the process inside and out. Um, so let's start with you, Amy, on our first kind of big question. What do you like about this work? And also, what do you dislike? I absolutely love uh, the team that I work with and meeting candidates. So that always tops the list for me, working with the team that we have at Tuck, not only on you know, the evaluation side as we review candidates and applications, but also the fun on the marketing side and increased opportunities on social media to reach audiences and just... It's different every single year. I have friends who say, what are you still doing there? And it's different every year. There's always something new in admissions and always something new at Tuck to go right alongside it. So specifically on admissions, absolutely the team and meeting candidates. And also, I've had a great opportunity over these these many years to be able to travel and meet candidates where where they live, and also to connect with Dartmouth and Tuck alumni when I'm out and about. Of course, that's gone to virtual recently, but that was something I did not expect and absolutely love the opportunity to meet applicants where where they came from, what their cities were like, mm-hmm. and get an idea of what their journey was by making that journey myself to, to meet them. So that I love for sure. The dislike... There are probably just not enough hours in the day sometimes mm. with all the candidates that I want to talk to, people that you want to meet in this process. You know, there's there's just so much great work to be done, and I think it's hard to find enough time sometimes to just dive into all the all the little things that you want to do, like write that extra blog post, you know, do that extra photo shoot, have, uh, you know, pictures of students meeting candidates, connecting. They're just, just hard to find enough hours in the day sometimes to go <laughs> alongside reading so many applications, interviewing candidates and, and getting the class together at Tuck. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Pat, how about you? Is what, what do you like most? I mean, I sort of feel like you began expressing this when you're talking about your, you know, recruiting you were doing even back in, in the law firm days. But what do you like about, you know, the current role? And is there anything that you dislike? I think very similar to Amy's answer, it's 
the opportunity to engage with, with the students, with the applicants. And I find it's so rewarding to play a small part in, you know, so Tuck is developing wise, decisive leaders who better the world through business. And I play a small part in bettering the world through business. Mm. I get to meet people who are, who've done some really interesting things in their career already. And then when you compare that with a Tuck MBA, it's like rocket fuel. And it's so amazing to watch them take off after the two years and go out into the world and do amazing things. And being at a school like Tuck, where we are this small community, I get that opportunity to meet people as their applicants, get to know them as their students, you know. You, you can't help but interact with people during their time at Tuck. And so be, develop friendships and relationships with them as students and then continue seeing them after they've graduated. Like I, I had an alum who just sent me baby pictures the other day. And it's it's just very special to be a part of their lives and to help them as they're taking this this next step in their careers to go on and do some really amazing things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what about the dislike? Is there anything that you don't like about the role? <laughs> I, I hate saying no to people. Yeah. You know, like there are so many more people that we have to turn away than we can take. And and that's really heartbreaking because there are so many amazing applicants to Tuck that, you know, we're a small school and we just don't have the space for everybody. Yeah, that makes sense too. And I, I want to say, you know, in both of your responses, you're talking about this idea of, um, you know, this sort of energy you get from interacting with the candidate pool. And we see that, you know, even at Clear Admit, like we love seeing all these candidates come through and you just, I mean, people have such varied profiles. And, and so I personally am very energized by that. That's sort of what gets me out of bed too. Let's talk about something. What, what's one kind of new thing that's happening or maybe forthcoming on campus that you wish more people knew about? And I'll ask Amy this question. Sure. And if you'll allow me, Graham, I'll do two things and keep it, sure. keep it somewhat free. <laughs> um, one thing very recent that that just really inspired me was one of our faculty members, Dan Filer, who put out a note to students at the start of the winter term, so just several weeks ago, for an opportunity that he calls the leadership push. And this is the second year that this faculty member, who's a faculty member who focuses on leadership and negotiation, and he just put the word out to the whole student community of, hey, I'm forming this study group and anybody is welcome to join, you know, and, and it was all around leadership topics and challenging conventional wisdom around leadership. And just the notion that a faculty member was opening up a kind of study group space to brainstorm and think freely with students who are interested. I just, I thought that if I was a student, that would be the first thing on my list. And that is one great example of the opportunity that students have to connect with faculty. Of course, there are all the formal ways that an applicant can imagine, but then also other opportunities where faculty just, because they live in the community alongside students, they offer this opportunity. Hmm. So that in brief, and then one other, which was a larger initiative started by a student, a woman at Tuck about a year and a half ago, and the initiative is called The Next 50, and it was female students at Tuck taking a look and realizing that a very small percentage of case discussions had the protagonist as a female. Mm. And so one of our students from the class of 2021 started this alongside our assistant dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion, started this initiative to do an analysis of the cases at Tuck. They've moved forward in the last year, looking at the cases, doing a full audit, and now students, the student 
committee has broadened men and women and, and students across the two classes at Tuck to rewrite some of the cases with the faculty. And so I think for a student to realize that this is where they could have an impact and something they wanted to change at Tuck and they're making it happen. And I think it's a reflection of the larger opportunity at Tuck that if you have an idea, you have an initiative of something you want to improve, you have willing partners all across faculty, fellow students, and administration at Tuck. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, what The one thing that you made me think of is that this idea that the faculty and everyone are, are part of the community, I, I think is never more true than at a place like Tuck. I mean, I know when I was applying to business school, that was one of the things that really jumped out at me, this idea that you know, it's it's more than people aren't just sort of disappearing into a city at the end of the class day. You know, they're they're part of a broader community that's very close knit. So I, that really always struck me. Um, so it's interesting to hear you kind of speak to that a little bit. I want to, um, Pat. I want to ask you a question, which is, give me a tuck stereotype that you want to debunk. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Amy's lead, and I'm gonna give you two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first the first is, you know, everybody says everybody goes into consulting at Tuck. Not true. Like while we are extremely strong in our consulting placement, it's not even the majority of students who are going into consulting. Right. We've got about a third of our students going into consulting, a quarter are going into financial services, about 15% are going into technology and about that same amount go into healthcare. And then we're sending students into energy and manufacturing and nonprofit and media and real estate. Tuck is a general management degree that prepares our students to do anything anywhere. Mm. And so there is a whole lot more than just consulting recruiting going on at Tuck. And then I think the, the other stereotype I would debunk is we are a small school in the woods, therefore there's nothing to do. Absolutely not the case. There is so much going on. You know, it's an amazing place if you love the outdoors. There is a lot going on. But, you know, we are a small school in the woods, but we're also an Ivy League institution that has so many interesting opportunities on campus. It's a beautiful area. You know, it's different than New York City. <laughs> if you want to go clubbing until 4 a.m. every night, not the place to be. But our student, you know, you mentioned the, the tight-knit community. Our students are in it. You know, they're all in and they really engage with each other and they make their own fun. And so you will never be bored at Tuck. Yeah. And I, you're now also reminding me of, you know, I've been, I, I recognize that it's a, um, it's a beautiful setting and, and, you know, it, it, and yeah, it's not a city, but I also remember it's quite well connected to the cities. I remember I once went to campus via bus from Boston and there was a special Please correct me if I'm wrong. There was like a special Tuck bus that literally, you know, goes back and forth between Boston and campus. And so I felt like there was, a, I was really impressed by that connection that existed. And um, and it was a nice bus. I remember they showed a movie and it was like, it was like a whole thing, you know? So um, so I, I was kind of impressed by that, you know, connection being there even, so you get sort of the best of both worlds. You can, you know, get on the bus and get into the city if that's your thing. But yeah, you're part of this community um, off in the woods too. So I, I liked that personally. <laughs> We can't take credit for the bus. Um, it's called Dartmouth Coach. Okay. <laughs> but it is, you know, it, those of us who travel a lot spend a lot of time on the Dartmouth Coach, and it is the most civilized way to travel. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lovely bus with movies and snacks, and, you know, you get work done while you travel. It's super easy. Yeah. Terrific. Pat, I want to stay with you for this next question, which is, I, I just want you to walk me through the life of an application from the moment that the candidate hits submit. And the reason I'm asking this is because I feel like um, on the candidate side of thing, and that's our, you know, those are our listeners, people 
they kind of slave away. They put their heart and soul into an application. They spend many, many hours doing it. And then they submit and it sort of goes off into this, you know, never, never land. And they don't really know, they might have some, you know, signposts in terms of like, oh, I might hear about a decision on this date. But if you could walk us through like what's happening on the other side when your office gets the file and all the way through to the, you know, the decision, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And we try to be as transparent as possible with our processes. And I encourage people to look at the Tuck 360 blog because we go into detail about each aspect of the application and what we're looking for and what we're doing with it and who's reviewing your application. And so uh, we try to give as much there as we can. Before I start talking about the life of an application, I want to take one step back and call attention to our four admissions criteria because every aspect of our evaluation process is anchored on those four criteria. Mm -hmm. And so real quickly, we're looking for candidates who are smart, accomplished, aware, and encouraging. Smart is pretty obvious. You know, we're looking for people who performed well in their undergraduate days, who did well on the tests. You know, that, that goes to your kind of academic aptitude, but SMART is also kind of your academic attitude. We're also looking for candidates who are curious and engaged. Accomplished is pretty clear cut. We're looking at your professional experiences, your community involvement, your accomplishments, both personal accomplishments as well as professional accomplishments. In terms of aware, uh, we want to see people who are self-aware, who are aware. I, I kind of look at aware in two different ways. Uh, backward reflecting and taking a look at who you are, um, how you got to where you are right now, and how that contributes to the Tuck community. Mm -hmm. And then a forward-looking aware of what are your goals? What are you hoping to do with your life? Why do you need an MBA to achieve that? And why do you need an MBA from Tuck to achieve that? And then finally, encouraging, which I think is just the, the total essence of Tuck, is we're looking for students who are encouraging, collaborative, empathetic. And so that's the that kind of intangible that, that we want to see in our Tuck students. Hmm. So everything we do anchors on those four criteria. And when we evaluate the application, so we've got a, an admissions committee of about 10 to 12 people at, a, you know, at any given time mm -hmm. who read all of the files. You submit your file, you submit your application online. It is assigned randomly to one of those 12 readers, and they will look at absolutely everything that you've submitted. You know, you, you've put a lot of time into that application. Absolutely everything is considered as we're reviewing it. And they will go through your application and read everything and look for evidence of all, each of those four criteria. No one criterion is more important than another. We don't weight any of them. It's a very holistic process. So strengths in one area might balance out weaknesses in another. Um, but so that reader goes through, looks for the four criteria, and then summarizes it with a recommendation to admit, deny, waitlist, or discuss. And at the same time, they are also making a determination of whether we should invite this person for an interview. So if we are going to be moving forward with your application, we're going to invite you to an interview. And I can talk about the interview process in a bit. But then your interview would take place, it comes into the file, and then a second reader goes through, reads absolutely everything in your application, plus the write-up of your interview, looks for evidence of those four criteria, and makes a recommendation, admit, deny, discuss. 
in some cases, if the, the recommendation is not to interview and not to move forward, or it will go to the either Amy or me as the executive director to make a final review. Mm-hmm. Or after the second read, once the interview is in, part, in place, then it goes to Amy and me or me to make a final decision. And then each of us, we, we don't both read every file, but one of us is looking at every single file, no matter what the, first, what the reader's recommendations are. And so we will look at the file and we will make a determination, admit, deny, waitlist, or discuss. Sometimes we kick it back and we say, you know what, we think this person should be interviewed. And so we will then request an interview and have a, an interview and an additional read, or we want to get the perspective of somebody else. So um, I think the key takeaway is there are a lot of eyes on every single application. Nobody gets kicked out because they're, you know, they don't have a minimum score. Um, everything gets read very thoroughly. And so when Amy and I are going through that final read, we will take a look. And sometimes it's a clear-cut decision. You don't need to talk about it. It's a clear-cut admit, or unfortunately, it might be kind of a clear-cut deny. But then you've got some in the middle where either the readers disagreed or there's just something that we as a group need to talk out. And so those go into committee. And all of the, the people who read the entire admissions committee will meet. It's usually at the end of the round. And we lock ourselves away in a conference room for two or three days with a lot of snacks. <laughs> and we talk about every single applicant that's in committee. And somebody will present it, talk about the pros and cons. And as a group, we'll reach a decision on what we should do with that candidate. So that's kind of a long-winded explanation. I apologize for that. No, no. I think that's exactly what people love to tune in and hear about. Uh, I was going to ask you, where maybe we're going to get into the weeds a little bit, but I just wanted to know as a follow-on question to this, do, do the readers who read after the first reader, whether it's you or, or Amy or, or any of the other members of the team, do they see what the earlier readers have said about the candidate? Is that sort of transparent or is it more kind of they don't get to see that? They do see what the first reader said. Okay. Um, and in some cases, it's easy to look at the file and say, you know what, I agree with everything the first person said. Mm-hmm. But then they also will say like, hey, wait a minute, Amy missed something in this one. And, you know, I think we ought to look at X. And so um, sometimes you almost see a discussion in the, the reader sheet back and forth between the two <laughs> readers. Our readers all are pretty strong willed. So nobody is unduly influenced by anybody else. So they're, they're not afraid to state their own opinions. Okay. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, so Amy, I want to turn to you and ask you a question. Again, candidates love to get this kind of stuff. So the question really is, what's one tip about the application essay um, or essays in this case. So is there any kind of one piece of advice you would have when it comes to candidates sitting down to put that piece of the application together? Absolutely. Love to, to talk about the essays, love to read them on the other side. The one piece of advice, and then I'll follow up with a few things, but the one piece is, you know, be your authentic self, right? Allow yourself to share your story. Candidates, have the opportunity to get so many inputs. They have this great clear admit community. They have other places where they're tuning in to collaborate with other applicants. They have the Tuck 360 blog specifically from Tuck where we will tell them exactly what we're looking for. As the applicant, take in all of that great feedback and then just maybe exhale it out a little bit and then think about your own story. Right. So you want to author that story. You as 
I never want a candidate to put themselves in a position where they feel like they're, they have to write something that I need to hear, right? Like they're writing something, okay, I better say this because this is what they, the committee wants me to say. Mm -hmm. I encourage all applicants to reflect a bit and to just, you know, see all those inputs, be aware of what the committee is looking for, but then tell your own story, allow yourself to go beyond your resume as you answer the essay questions and specifically the essay questions that Tucker, you know, designed for us to get to know you another layer beyond the resume because it's easy to see those details, but then how do you feel about this next step? What is your mission? What do you hope to accomplish? Who are you as you come into the MBA community? So telling your own story, not thinking too much about what the committee wants to hear. You know, I think that's that's a great way to go. We've worked with candidates over the years who, you know, maybe they're coming through the process a second time around. And the the revelation sometimes from those candidates upon further reflection and feedback um, is that they didn't spend enough time with the essays and they kind of were were telling us what we wanted to hear versus what the real story was. So Mm -hmm. we love to hear the real story and we welcome it. (laughs) Um, I guess one thing that you're saying that, that you're making me think of is if someone's being authentic and giving you the real story, then that's just so much easier for the candidate too. When they go to the interview, they're, it's the same story. It's not like they have kind of had to figure out something to, to sort of make themselves into something that they're not, which is always dangerous and doesn't, you know, obviously give you guys an authentic look at the candidate in the first place. So I think that's terrific advice. I want to turn back to Pat and Pat, you kind of foreshadowed this earlier, but I wanted to talk about the interview process at Tuck and how, just get a sense for how it works. You know, you mentioned it's by invitation, but who's conducting those interviews and any advice as to how one might want to prepare? Yeah. So it's such an important part of the process because it really rounds out the picture of who you are as an applicant. So how it happens, so we're, we're sort of invitational, we're sort of open. Back in the days when we could welcome people to campus, we had an open interview policy where if you came to campus, you could guarantee yourself an interview. Yeah. We had to pivot in the time of COVID and went to an invitational policy but to sort of preserve that openness, uh, we provided an opportunity if candidates applied early. We gave a couple early deadlines. If you applied early, you guaranteed yourself an interview. Okay. What what we will go back to post-COVID, I'm not quite sure yet, but that's so you do have an opportunity to guarantee yourself an interview, but a, a large portion of the interviews are done based on on an invitation. The interviews are all conducted by Tuck second year students who have been, you know, gone through a rigorous application and training process to be TAAs, Tuck Admissions Associates. They're going to sit down with you and have a conversation. It's truly meant to be a comfortable conversation. They're only going to have your resume. They've not read your application. They've not been prompted by us of what to look for. And, you know, they're they're trying to draw out from you evidence of those four admissions criteria. You know, they're also looking for the exact same things that we're looking for as we read. To prepare in advance, you know, think through, one, know the four admissions criteria really well and think through what in your life you can call upon that demonstrates each of those four areas. Think through what kinds of questions you might get. 
So it's, I think it's really important to prepare answers for likely questions that you'll get, Mm -hmm. but not be so tied to a script that, you know, you're guaranteed you're going to get asked a question that you hadn't thought of. So you want to be ready to think on your feet, Mm -hmm. but having some anecdotes in your pocket that reflect on each of those criteria will carry you a long way. Um, So think about how you can address each of those and then, you know, practice your answers, but don't don't practice so much that you you can't step off script. I'll give you an insider tip. I promise <laughs> you, we will be asking you, what are your goals? Why do you want an MBA? And why do you want to come to Tuck? Mm-hmm. So you better have a good answer for those. That that one should not be a surprise. And yeah, you know, I think t- being able to tell us why, you know, the the common answer is because it's a close knit community and it's small. But don't just tell us that. Tell us why that matters to you, why that is going to help you achieve your goals, why you thrive in that kind of community, not just parroting kind of the, the talking points that you, that you see in, in marketing materials. And there are two points to a, an interview. One, it helps us get a, a much more complete picture of you, but you as an applicant also have the opportunity to learn more about Tuck. You get to sit down with one of our really incredible students and learn a little bit about their experience as well. So come with questions, questions that aren't easily answered on the website, but sit down, be ready to have a conversation. It's not meant to be a pressure situation and, and put you on, on your heels. Um, we want you to, to really, the best you is going to come out when you're comfortable. And so our interviewers are working to make you as comfortable as possible. But then also remember it is an interview. So I think sometimes <laughs> applicants will say, Oh, I'm sitting down with another student. Okay, I, I can let my guard down and, and treat this as a peer. You don't want to go that casual, but do be comfortable. <laughs> okay, yeah, good advice. I um, appreciate you you know, sharing all these tips. I will say from perusing the interview archive that we have at Clear Admit, where people you know go and leave notes about, oh, I had my interview, this is what it was like. The two things that have always jumped out at me with Tuck are people always talk about how it's a friendly process, so it's not a kind of gotcha type um, experience for them um, in terms of like, you know, feeling like they're on, you know, on the hot seat or something. And the other thing that's come out is that they really seem to value, candidates at least seem to value this opportunity, like you're saying, to, to have a conversation with someone who's in the program. And, you know, I would, I, I think really that, that point you made about coming with questions that a student could answer, I, I think are, are, is a great idea just because often if an interview is conducted by an admissions committee member who maybe didn't go to the MBA program, they, they don't necessarily have the same depth of knowledge of like, what's, what is it like being in this club or going to this activity every week or whatever it is. So it just sounds like a great opportunity, like you said, for both you to get to know the candidate, but for the candidate get to, to get to know the school a little bit better and, and really close up. So appreciate that. Amy, I wanted to ask you a, a question about more about Dartmouth, I guess, and, and how, like, how does Tuck take advantage of the broader Dartmouth community? Because obviously Dartmouth is a, a, a you know large institution. I mean, it's not tens and tens of thousands of people, but it is a big you know university with a lot of different resources and, and other academic areas, right? So do you want to just speak to what kind of interactions there are between Tuck students and the broader Dartmouth community? Absolutely. And dear future Tuck students and others, like there is absolutely no limit to the ways that you can take advantage of opportunities in the Dartmouth community. I, you know, could speak from personal experience of all the things that I've done over the last two decades, but the opportunities in, in Dartmouth, as you say, are are very broad and there are not a lot of barriers. And so the chance that you'll have, you know, connected with someone 
at Tuck who knows someone at Dartmouth who can get you to that next opportunity or, you know, to participate in something that the opportunities are really quite endless depending upon your specific interests. And so the ways I and others have taken advantage of the broader Dartmouth community. One is just the the great outdoors. Right now, there's an ice skating rink set up on the green, and so students from all across Dartmouth and staff and faculty as well, if they wanted to, can can ice skate right on the green. Hmm. Last weekend, I was out at the Dartmouth Skiway, and so Dartmouth has its own ski mountain very nearby and so for people who are who would enjoy the outdoors all of those Dartmouth facilities and spaces as well as the network of cabins that are located across New Hampshire are open to all Dartmouth students the engagement that is available to students through you know working with faculty across campus working with different student groups we have tuck mentors who you know there are many applicants to Tuck um, who have mentorship in their background, and that's something that they've always done. And our students have an organization where they leave their resumes with Dartmouth's undergrad Office of Career Services, and the undergrads will connect with the Tuckies, and many a mentor relationship begins from there and blossoms. So there's a lot of mentorship that that goes on in connecting with um, the Dartmouth and Tuck communities. There are great opportunities to take advantage of the sports teams at Dartmouth. We've had students who have been, you know, volunteer coaches um, with different teams across Dartmouth who have, you know, just, just working with the sports teams across Dartmouth and volunteering with some of the organizations there. There's also the, you know, the Hopkins Center for Arts and Culture at Dartmouth, which you can see many a performance there from, you know, student student theater workshops to major artists and productions and movies and the list goes on. But the collaboration is also like Tuck and Dartmouth are at the center of community. So the Dartmouth campus connects to a community where our students can take advantage and also give of themselves quite a bit. So there are a lot of nonprofits and organizations that our students volunteer with or work on community consulting projects or you know take advantage of facilities and there's opportunity not not just to take advantage but also to give back and we see our students and community members doing both i think the bottom line is like on any college campus there are so many opportunities there's no barrier to a tuck student who wants to engage with any aspect of the Dartmouth community. And so you don't, as a Tuck student, you don't have to leave your passions and interests behind. You can continue to, you know, dive into those at Tuck as well as at Dartmouth and in the broader community around Hanover. I'm glad that I that I asked this one because I, it sounds like it really is, you know, the, the, the Tuck community really is integrated into the broader Dartmouth community, which is great. And there are so many things to do. And um, yeah, I just remember that even from my time, you know, spending a little bit of time on campus. Um, I want to turn back to Pat and ask a final serious question um, before we get into some fun kind of lightning round stuff. Um, and that question is about COVID. I know that, you know, your students are back and all that stuff, but I, I wondered, um, you know, when is, is there any talk of campus visits happening or will you all be going back out on the road or have you started to like, where do things currently stand on the kind of COVID front? Well, let me look into my crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it, you know, that's it's been so tough. We've been really fortunate that instruction all year, we've been able to be in person as Omicron has taken off 
and we have had some infections, we've been able to pivot easily that we still have in-person instruction, but if a student has to isolate, they're Zooming in. Yeah. Um, and so we've, the faculty have done an amazing job of being able to balance that, that in-person and, and virtual instruction. As far as campus visits, Gosh, we hope we can soon. Um, I think that we will probably be able to open up a little bit for our admitted students in very small groups. We're trying to take up, you know, our priority is protecting the health and safety of our community and the Upper Valley. Sure. We're hoping to be able to start bringing in small groups of, of folks in the spring. And then if all goes well, hopefully we can bring in small groups of prospective students after that, um, but just it's, you know, as COVID has been and everybody has experienced, just just when you think you're about to be able to be back in person or do something, it throws you a curveball. So <laughs> we're trying as soon as we can, because being, being on campus, particularly at a school like Tuck is so important. I think it's one of those places that you really have to experience to fully appreciate. And so we want to get people back as soon as we can. Yeah, that makes sense. I, th I think, um, you know, what you're saying has been reflected in many of the other, you know, admissions director Q&As we've been doing on the podcast here. And um, it's sort of a wait and see. And I don't know that, yeah, there really aren't any schools that are yet kind of fully welcoming um, prospective students to campus or anything like that. But it's all, it's everyone wants to. And I think it's going to, I'm really fingers crossed that it'll begin to happen as we hopefully move into the final chapter here of the COVID saga. If you guys are willing, I wanted to do something that we always do on these admissions director Q&As, which are these kind of lightning round, um, real humans questions with the idea that we feel like to the extent that the candidates can get to know the two of you a little bit, it sort of takes some of the pressure off and, and, and makes you guys, you know, that they'll realize that you're just, you know, regular people reading their files and you're not some sort of mystery gatekeeper. So what I'll do is since, you know, you guys are a duo, we'll, I'll just pepper you each with these questions. We'll just run through them. So the first one that I wanted to ask, and I'll start with you, Amy, is coffee or tea? Coffee in the morning and then herbal tea all afternoon. <laughs> okay. So kind of both. Um, Pat, how about you? Black coffee, lots of it. All right. <laughs> Amy, beach or mountains? Beach, specifically Rhode Island or Maine. I, yeah, I was going to say this would be tough for you because I know you're from Rhode Island, so you're on the coast, but then yeah. you're up in the mountains at, in Hanover. So um, Pat, how about you? Are you beach or mountains person? You know, I live in the mountains, so I have to say mountains person, but then I adore the beach. So I, that's... Yeah. That's an unfair question. Our editor-in-chief who designed this question many years ago, I've always kind of been like, wait, I like both of those things. Why is it a one, you know, why is that either or? But um, all right. So uh, Amy, are you a morning person or a night owl? Definitely a morning person. Okay. I'm glad we're recording this in the morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can I ramp up for the night, but definitely morning. Uh, Pat, how about you? Morning person or night owl? Right in the middle, like 11 a.m. is probably my key time. Okay. We're actually, we happen to be approaching that very time of the day, I believe, on the East Coast. <laughs> now, now I'll hit my stride. <laughs> Amy, what's a pet peeve that you have? This is a tough one. When intermittent wipers don't really work and it makes that noise against the windshield, <laughs> you know, I can't, I yeah. can't think of too many, Graham. Sorry. No, that's a good, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you know Blair Mannix down at Wharton, but um, yeah. her pet peeve was car related as well. It was something about poor parallel parkers, I think. Ah, was good so, one. So there's a bit of a car, car theme. Pat, how about you? What's a pet peeve that you've got? 
Oh, this is a very COVID time answer, but masks below the nose. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you there. I keep seeing those people on the metro or the subway, you know, they've got it on, but it's not really on. So yeah, that's always frustrating. All right, uh, Amy, a guilty pleasure that you sometimes indulge in? Mm, Probably scrolling through like all the fabulous like chefs on Instagram and like saving all of the recipes, but then do I ever really go back and make all of them? So I think I, I spend a lot of time looking at recipes. That's funny. <laughs> and trying to think about what I might cook. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, how about you, Pat? I am binge watching a lot of Netflix these days. <laughs> do you want to give us, well, actually later, and I think I have a question for you that might allow you to reveal something that you've liked in that domain. So let's hold off on that. <laughs> let's see. Uh, a favorite virtue in others, Amy? What's something that you really admire in other people, a quality? Definitely kindness. Okay. You know, just that pure, pure generosity, just being, being kind to strangers and just, just watching that in the world. Okay. Pat, how about you? Say serenity. I can get wound kind of tight sometimes. And so <laughs> when people are able to just let it go with the flow, I'm always impressed. Okay. Amy, what's your happy place? Probably on my bike. Oh, wow. Just a, just, we have a lot of like great places to road ride in the upper valley here. So I'd say like some of the, the Vermont roads in particular mm-hmm. for bike riding. Wow. Excellent. I'm piecing together some of your interests. I'm like, you need to come to France where I live and go see the Tour de France and to- eat really yes. great food. Uh, oh, <laughs> don't, don't get me started about the Tour de France. Got the countdown going. Excellent. Um, okay, Pat, how about you? Where is your happy place? Uh, walking in the woods around here. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a beautiful place to be. And I love to get outside and hike as much as I can. Got it. Excellent. Amy, a comfort food. Oh, so many. But eggplant parm. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, Pat, how about you? <laughs> French fries. Excellent. <laughs> um, what was, what's been your proudest moment to date, Amy? Uh, there. I have a lot of things I'm proud of, but when I look at this, I'm thinking, man, I remember the day when I paid off my student loans. <laughs> I feel like that's, that, it was a while ago, but it still feels like yesterday. I was, that, that's kind of one, that's one of them for sure. Yeah. I actually remember that day too. So that must, yeah, there's a reason yeah. that sticks with us. Um, <laughs> I had a countdown going on the fridge <laughs> yeah. oh, and I wow. remember the day that I, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, Pat, what about you? Proudest moment? So mine's probably been for 15 years. I've got a 15-year-old daughter and just watching her grow and turn into this amazing person. Excellent. Yeah, I can relate to that a little bit as a father. Um, Let's see. Biggest regret, Amy. Is there anything that you kind of look back on and and wish had gone differently? I gave up piano at seven and I always think like, could, could I have... Could I have done something with that? So that that's that's something that I regret, not developing a musical talent. Okay. <laughs> Pat, how about you? I, I know it sounds like a salesy thing to say, but I wish I'd gotten my MBA. Ah, interesting. The law, but you have a law degree. You know? I do. Uh, you, you can <laughs> yeah. do a whole lot more with an MBA than you can with a JD. I know. And I, I love my job, so I don't mean it to sound <laughs> like I, I regret that, but... Uh, yeah. Just the the doors that the MBA opens up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to surprise you guys. I'm a big fan of the MBA. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, let's see. Okay. This is fun. Amy, what is a superpower that you wish you had? Just a teleportation of some kind, just to... You know, I'd love I'd love to have coffee with you tomorrow in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'd love to just teleport myself there, or or in twenty minutes. Yes, and then you could take me back, and I could maybe get some skiing in. Um, yes, I, I would like to go skiing. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, Pat, what about you? What would your superpower be? I'd love to be able to fly. Mm, yeah. 
It's a good one. <laughs> All right. Which part of the admissions process would you most like to skip if you were applying today? I'll start with you, Amy. Probably a, a test. Okay. I, I would I would want to skip the test. GMAT or GRE. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. That's been a popular response. <laughs> so I, I feel I feel for every single applicant who is in, in that battle. Yeah. But that's that's the part I would skip if I could. Okay. Pat, how about you? Yeah, same answer. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to ask each of you is what's the best thing that you've either read or watched or, or listened to recently? So Amy, we'll start with you again. Anything, any books, movies, or music you want to recommend? There is a recent podcast that I discovered. I can't remember when it came out, but it's called Things Fall Apart. And it's just human stories, kind of the, the title of it is human stories from the culture wars, but it, it dissects things like we know something to be true right now in the world, but where did it start? And just the, the history of like, why was a book ever banned? Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, why are these things the way they are? And, and how did it begin? So it's the, the podcaster's attempt to retrace some of that and the humans behind it. Got it. Interesting. All right. I'm noting this because uh, that's <laughs> okay. why I love asking this question. I'm always like noting these things that everyone says because I uh, often get extra, <laughs> extra things to read or watch. Um, Pat, how about you? Any recommendations? Yeah, I'm also podcast related. So John Meacham had two really great podcasts come out. One's called Hope Through History, and the other is called It Was Said. Mm -hmm. And they both just take this historical look. And it was really inspiring, particularly at the depths of COVID, of you know, he takes some of these really bleak times in history, but how we got through it or really inspirational. It's, it was said was inspirational, powerful speeches that have happened throughout history and, mm -hmm. and the, the context of them. And they're just interesting, inspiring, really great great ones to listen to. Excellent. You know, I want to say, I think you both are, I feel like you two are the first to recommend podcasts, which is great because obviously our listeners are by nature podcast listeners. So um, this is super helpful. Um, yeah. Most folks have gone with, you know, some series that they've been really enjoying binge watching or, you know, or a book or something. So this is great. Appreciate you guys thinking about that. I also want to just thank you both for your time. I know that we um, went through a lot here uh, and I had a lot of these kind of fun questions. I appreciate you indulging our listeners with, with some of that stuff. And I just feel like I learned a lot about how admissions works at Tuck. So I really want to thank you both, Amy and Pat, for taking part today. Thank you, Graham. My pleasure. Yeah, really fun to have the conversation. So listen up, everybody, and stay tuned for more episodes. We actually um, will be continuing this series of Q&As, and you can even go back and listen to some of the other folks that we've had on as a part of this series. And we also have our weekly Wiretaps episodes um, that air every Monday. And as always, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen.